This is Earth Care Week. A group of Buddhists decided to take their bodhisattva vows seriously and get up off the cushion and become involved in what we are all facing, which is the result of our actions and our species behavior over the last few hundred years to understand what's going on with the earth and to see if we can find ways to heal it, share those ways, commit ourselves to it. So I want to make some reflections, some remarks about, about that, that issue of uh, our planet. And I'll start with a little report from the People's Climate March in New York, which I attended, along with over, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And uh, I was only sorry that the press didn't pick it up more and do more with it. It was sort of pushed into the background by the bombing of ISIS. It was that week. And <clears throat> there was well over 300,000 people in the streets of New York. Almost as many as Woodstock, you know, <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't just uh, tree huggers. There were some tree huggers there, no doubt, but uh, it was all sorts of organizations, religious organizations. I marched with the, the Buddhists. We had a a big contingent from all the different Buddhist schools. Um, AFL-CIO, the union people were there. They had a wonderful uh, um, band of, uh, what were they playing? Uh, steel drums. And they, they, were play, they kept playing uh, Oubladi, Oublada, Life Goes On. I saw several people dressed as dinosaurs and they had signs saying, Ask me about climate change. <laughs> and there was, on the same block as the uh, Buddhist group, uh, we had a, a big, there was a big float of Noah's Ark. And you could go up and write down the name of the species you'd like to be included on the voyage to save, save your, your species from uh, the flood. Of course, if you're a single-celled organism, a bacterium, you, don't, you only need one to go. Uh, there was a tr big tree of life with ribbons, and people would write uh, name of species in trouble or issues that they you know, felt deeply about. Lots of people wearing the garb of other species, wearing feathers, bark. Uh, skins. Uh, I saw one man dressed in a suit of bamboo. Uh, he kind of tinkled uh, when he walked. He, he said bamboo uh, represents the first music ever made on the planet when the wind blew through bamboo groves. <clears throat> and of course all this happened in the streets of New York City, which is kind of a testament to a brilliant species, and you've got to admit 
we are ingenious and we have done amazing things and we've landed on that little orb out there and walked around and said this is interesting you know and and we've built these great towers that put put the pyramids to shame and we we know what's inside of matter know how things work in nature we, we are we're really brilliant and the life of this planet has been so altered by our behavior over the last you know few hundred years uh, we really have to assess what we're doing and how we can learn how to live more in harmony. Uh, the reason I went to New York was because I, I, I just felt like we're at this moment. Uh, this is going to be a watershed event because we're at a very critical moment in the history of not just the history of humans, but the history of life on this planet. Um, and we're in trouble, and we can read about it almost now any day in a newspaper. Uh, another event, unusual weather, unusual storms, unusual temperatures, uh, species in trouble, uh, just a, a kind of level of, of uh, dysfunction that is happening around the planet. Um, I always find that the most disturbing thing to be what's going on with other species of life. As you probably know, the biologists, the world's leading biologists, agree that we are now living through the fifth or sixth largest extinction spasm, that's what they call it, in biological history, that uh, we are losing other species of life at something like 10,000 times the standard rate of extinctions. Uh, <clears throat> the tragic results can be found on endangered species lists. Uh, clearly, and clearly the cause are human herds trampling across the planet, consuming everything in our path. And no, I won't mention any names, but that <laughs> is clearly what is causing the extinction spasm, is the uh, taking over of habitat, the altering of habitat. Um, I think the endangered species list maybe in the future will be used as an indictment, read off as an indictment of all of us for crimes against non-humanity. This is a recent assessment of the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. The studies found that following species are threatened. 21% uh, of all known mammals, 30% of amphibians, 35% of invertebrates, 70% of plants. Maybe the statistics become more alive when we hear the names of those disappearing, such as the Sierra, Nevada, the Sierra Nevada red fox and the San Joaquin kit fox. And the last supper, supper for these foxes might be a, a Pacific pocket mouse, a riparian brush rabbit, or a Fresno kangaroo rat, all disappearing as well. 
Then there are the big ones, the California bighorn sheep, the stellar sea lion, the sperm whale, the right whale, the humpback and blue whales, all on the endangered lists. Birds, famous birds. California condor, the greater sandhill crane, the bald eagle, the great gray owl, the marbled murrelet, the common bank swallow, all disappearing. What about the plant kingdom filled with beings whose very names evoke tastes and smells and beautiful sights? Mount Gleason paintbrush, succulent owl's clover, mariposa lily, Eureka Dunes Evening Primrose, the Santa Cruz Cypress, Pacific Grove Clover, all listed as endangered. This is from an article I recently wrote. How could this be happening? Is this what nature wants? Is this the place to which the laws of nature lead? And why have we been chosen as the agents of this Holocaust? Is this our retribution? For our arrogance, the blind and destructive behavior of humans seems to have been sanctioned by at least one of our most popular deities who created mankind in his own Im image and said unto them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And of course, we carried out that instruction with fervor filling up the earth with our kind and along the way subduing this and subduing that until at this point it's almost subdone. <laughs> anyway, all our favorite animals are on the endangered lists. All the stars of the TV nature shows, elephants, jaguars, gorillas, rhinos. The animals of our myth and poetry are facing extinction the turtle that holds the world on its back. The fox who goes out on the town, oh, the lions and tigers and bears, oh my. We're losing the frogs, Kermit. The birds, big bird. We have them as cartoon characters. There's been an estimated 75% decline in the number of songbirds in North America and a corresponding 75% decline in the number of bird songs. What can we do? What can be done? I think that endangered species lists should be read aloud in churches and schools regularly. Every time another species makes the list, maybe we could put its picture on a milk carton, like a missing child. Otherwise, how do we know? How, do, how would we know about this? We have to really spread the word. What else can we do besides spread the word? Well, one thing is perfectly clear. There are just too many of us. Some of you will have to go. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
that really, I think it has to be brought into the equation. People are always saying, no, we could, if we distributed food okay, it would be, you know, we could all, we could all survive. And I think that our quality of life would be really, really uh, even worse than the poorest quality of life right now if we did not consciously begin to reduce our populations. Uh, we're just too successful. We've figured out how to feed too many of us. Strange, but true. It's funny, you know, for most of our history, we've been busy protecting ourselves from nature. That's a lot of what our ingenuity goes into. And now we're being called on to protect nature from us. But we are nature. And that's exactly the shift of consciousness that I think we need desperately if we are going to change our ways and begin to heal the planet. We need a new story, a new mythology. Joseph Campbell says, the old gods are dead or dying and people everywhere are searching, asking what is the new mythology to be? The mythology of this unified earth as of one harmonious being. Humans just became, we became so arrogant, we began to believe that the entire universe was made just for us. That we were separately created, specially created. The rest of it was just here for, for our sake, to use and subdue and, you know. Of course, now we know about billions of other galaxies. It was all made just for us. <laughs> How can we hold on to that belief? Our major religions came to regard the earth as like a, a training planet, right? It's a place where you come to learn some lessons, burn off some karma, <laughs> and then you get to go off to some other place where you truly belong. But that's, those beliefs are dysfunctional because they take our reverence away from this world, and they remove the human from the web of life. Luckily, luckily we're starting to get a new story, a new story coming from, primarily from science, like physics telling us that we're entangled with everything else. You know, I wave my hand and the whole universe is involved in some way. We know that uh, we are made out of the stuff of the earth. You look at your hand, the iron in your blood, the calcium in your bones. All of that comes out of the earth and that all comes out of the explosion of supernova in the beginning years of the universe, created all the elements that are now making up our body. We are literally stardust. We are literally part of it all. It is part of us. The Indians, the Hindus are always going saying, thou art that, thou art that, any direction. We're related to all the beings that have ever lived. 
related to this molecule DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, composed of four chemical compounds, and depending on how they're arranged in a long string of coded information, a DNA molecule will contribute to the growth of a giant sequoia, or an ant, or a rose, or a human being. It's what separates life from non-life. It's like this magic substance. Deoxyribonucleic acid. I, I'm trying to start a new acronym. Every time you see or hear the letters DNA, think divine natural abundance. Divine natural abundance. Because every species has grown out of the code written into that molecule. Arranged in different, in different ways. It produces different cells at different times, etc. I think it's very interesting. We share nearly 90% of our DNA with mice. That's because the instructions for building and maintaining you are primarily instructions for building and maintaining a basic mammal. You've got to build a respiratory system and a circulatory system and, a, and senses and a dietary system and, a, and you know, means of mobility. And it's incredibly complicated to build a mammal. But more and more, I mean, we're finding how much of this information we share with other beings. We're, and we're all from the same stock. We all share a common ancestor. The, the scientists have named her, I, I give her a feminine gender, uh, the gender but uh, Luca, the last universal common ancestor. And it's a single-celled being that all other beings have come from. Uh, first life appeared on this planet 3.7 billion years ago. Today. <laughs> but uh, like Richard Dawkins has a wonderful reflection. He says, you go back 400 years and get a picture of your great-grandfather, 400 great-grandfathers back, let's say, 400. And, you know, it's vaguely human, a picture of a, you know, maybe got a little slanted forehead or something, you know. But go back a million great-grandfathers, and everybody can do this, you know. Your great-grandfather needed a great-grandfather. Go all the way back a million or so great-grandfathers, and you would have a picture of a fish. We are related. You know, your relatives were, some of them were scaly. And, and, and then you go all the way back, you know, it was that single-celled being. We're all related. This is Darwin. There is a simple grandeur in this view of life, evolution, with its powers of growth, assimilation, reproduction, being originally breathed into matter under one or a few forms. And while this, our planet has gone circling on according to fixed laws, and land and water in a cycle of changes have gone on replacing each other, from so simple an origin, through the process of gradual selection of infinitesimal changes, 
Endless forms, most beautiful and wonderful, have been evolved. Endless forms, most beautiful and wonderful, have been evolved. That's us. And we're part of this unfolding. We're part of this, and we're part of a continual unfolding. As Darwin said, natural selection is happening now, every moment. Nature is selecting the traits that will continue, that will be adaptive. But we are so related to the other life of this planet, and we've so missed it. But how do we... Oh, I want to, I, before I do that, I want to read uh, yes, how to, how to make uh, this new information come alive inside of us. And I believe that Dharma practice, that meditation practice, the Dharma is our way in to this new identity of understanding ourselves as not separate. Uh, it happened for me sort of organically without an intention, but more and more over the years as I have meditated and kept bringing my attention back to my breath, I became more and more identified with my breath as indicating who I was. I was a breathing being. And I shared this atmosphere with a lot of other breathing beings. That uh, I shared the mystery. And I saw that it happened not only with my breath, but with as I watched my mind and the instincts and the desires and the fears. And I realized that these are inherited too. These are things I inherit from my mammalian past and how connected I am in that way. I wanted to read, read to you. Strange to say so, but one of the best things I learned in meditation is that I'm alive. I had rarely noticed it. But through increasing awareness of body and breath, I began to pay attention to this mysterious condition. Now my identity includes the fact that I am one of the living. I am a live one. You too are a member of the Sangha of the living. Welcome. Glad you could make it. Life on earth now appearing as your name. Fill in the blank. The path of meditation reminds us that we are alive by leading us from our heads into our bodies. We come down from the story of our life, psychology, to the fact of our lives, biology. My teacher, my first teacher, S.N. Goenka, told me to sweep my body with awareness. And slowly but surely, I became familiar with my nose and my toes and what poet Mary Oliver calls the world of lime and appetite, the oceanic fluids. This bag of bones and seaweed came alive and started to take over from my ego as the foundation of my identity. You might say I was born again as an animal. I had joined a grand and venerable sangha. To witness myself in the story of evolution, I feel a surge of compassion for the struggles of all life. Let's face it, the basic rules on this planet are difficult, a bitch sometimes. But may all beings be happy 
has a deeper ring to it when I regard myself as in the same world as those who dress in feathers, fur, scales, leaves, and bark. Now when I sit in meditation, I can feel my aliveness, my mammalian condition, my species self. I also sense my practice as part of a group effort by human beings to awaken to a new kind of sanity and freedom. Meditation has been called an evolutionary sport. In the light of that big perspective, I thank you all for being on my team, part of this exciting project, helping us all to realize our precious collective human potential. I think that Dharma practice and deep ecology are two sides of the same path, two steps on the same path, that we really can understand ourselves in a different way and step out of the aggressive, old aggressive mind, learn how to tame it, uh, see if we can't learn how to share a little bit more. I mean, that's a lot of what Earth Care Week is about. That's a lot of what the climate, the People's Climate March was about. Shifting the story, learning how to uh, change. The systems that we're working with now are just uh, dysfunctional. They're unworkable. Our, our economic system is based on creating desire and, uh, and going to the ends of the earth to fulfill it. Speaking of the ends of the earth, Mahatma Gandhi, I do not believe that a multiplication of wants and machinery contrived to supply them is taking the world a single step nearer to its goal. I wholeheartedly detest this mad desire to destroy distance and time, to increase animal appetites and go to the ends of the earth in search of their satisfaction. If modern civilization stands for this, and I have understood it to do so, I call it satanic. And the Dharma teachers who are interested in in ecology and, and in trying to begin to voice a Buddhist approach to our environmental problems, wrote this statement. It's adapted from a statement called The Earth as Witness International Dharma Teacher's Statement on Climate Change. Um, the Dharma informs us that craving, aversion, and delusion within the human mind are the root causes of vast human suffering. Climate change is perhaps humanity's greatest teacher yet about how these mental forces, when unchecked in ourselves and our institutions, cause harm to other people and the living environment. Led by industrialized nations, the desire for ever more material wealth and power has resulted in the reckless destruction of land and water, excessive use of fossil fuels, massive amounts of toxic waste, and other practices that are disrupting the Earth's climate. However, by acknowledging and addressing these internal mental drivers, we can begin to resolve the external causes of climate change. It's really nice to see that we are living up to some of our bodhisattva vow and entering because it's so, it's so, uh, it's a marriage made in evolution, you know?
great opportunities, as my friend uh, Joanna Macy always says, these times, these critical times, are great opportunities to be bodhi bodhisattvas. You know, you rarely get as many chances as you do when things get tough. I wanted to say also, you know, capitalism is a wonderful system. It's too bad nobody can afford it. Uh, Adam Smith, who the father of modern capitalism, said, an economy works best when everybody uh, goes after their own enlightened self-interest. But how many capitalists you know that are enlightened? I mean, <laughs> enlightened self-interest. I'm not saying, you know, that all capitalists are bad. Don't get me wrong. Some of my best friends. In fact, all of us, are, you know, I mean, that's... But... I don't know, maybe we should just call it sharing. Are we, ready, are we ready to really curtail our consumption habits? That is really one of the keys to healing the planet. I mean, uh, somebody, somebody, some study said that if everybody on the planet were to live at the standard that most of us here in North America are living, it would take five planets to support us. So there's great, this great inequality that's, that's, that issue is raised. It's sticky, there's so much, you know. But I think another thing that the Dharma brings to this issue is finding our satisfaction inside of us, not outside of us. Not having to rearrange the universe to meet our desires or to fulfill our, our greed, but finding peace and delight in just being alive and just having this amazing uh, awareness that can wonder and that can investigate uh, you know, the nature of reality. And it's so precious. We've so, been so busy making things and, and you know, making more and more things that we, we've forgotten about the simple pleasures. I don't want to make them sound too mundane or, you know, because we're going to have to come off this high, you know. It's, we've been having fun, haven't we? <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope we've been having fun. Hope, okay. This is the last thing, part of this, what I want to say, and maybe we'll have time for a little bit of talk, questions, or arguments, or whatever. Uh, hope. I want to read you this report here. All parts of the earth are built over, trampled, full of commerce. Farms and fields drive back the forests. Even rocks are cultivated. Swamps are drained. Today's towns outnumber yesterday's houses. Everywhere on earth are residences, peoples, governments, and human growth now so clogs the world it can barely support us. And as our needs increase, we struggle with each other for them, and nature fails us. That was written by the Roman historian Tyrullian in 150 AD. Just to give you a sense that this has happened before and how resilient we are as a species and how life, 
you know, just chugs on and and life does chug on. We have life on this planet has survived ice ages and comet collisions and you know uh, continents bumping into each other. It and it keeps changing shape and it keeps changing form and it goes on. And we want it to go on, don't we? To see what will happen, to see where 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 this experiment is leading. This experiment in consciousness, life and consciousness, fascinating. So here's some other things you might want to do. <clears throat> uh, so uh, during Earth Care Week, you, tr you could try consuming about a third less of everything that you normally consume. <laughs> who's who's going to volunteer? You also could go pick it in front of the oil company of your choice, go out into the ocean, take a swim in the primal amniotic fluid, and... While you're out there, maybe chain yourself to an endangered coral reef or just play some soothing music for the fish who must be very confused due to the changing temperature of the oceans. At least take a vow during this Earth Care Week that you will do something more to protect your mother. And at some point in your ceremony, take off your shoes, dance on the earth touching skin to skin, or just lay down flat Ignore your inner cynic and give your mama a big hug. And as always, she will forgive you and welcome you home. So, here's to the earth. Long may she spin. So, anybody have any additions, reflections? Yeah. Yes, please. Thank you for that. Absolutely, it is. It is. It is uh, worse than we thought. Everything is worse than we thought. Keep laughing. Yes. If you really don't have to drive fast, try slowing down a little. We're all driving these carbon spewing machines, and if we simply slow down a little, it makes a real impact. Excellent. Beautiful. Great advice. And we all need, you know, that's the key to enlightenment anyway. I mean, I think enlightenment and relaxation are almost uh, uh, synonyms. Stop moving forward, thrusting forward. It's just settle back. This is, what's wrong with this moment? What do you need in this moment that you have to, you know? Anybody else? that has troubles me so much going to the overpopulation and how much we just breed as a species that that in juxtaposition to for example the Texas law that just went through and I don't know 13 of the 23 abortion clinics in Texas right. have to close down um, the fact that as a country we have all these resources and I don't know where it stands now but I know previously money from the federal government could not go to countries to bring birth control. And I think that, and as individuals, I think- Does that still stand, that? No. I'm not sure about that. I don't think it does. Can you? Yeah. Yeah, just. 
Does anybody know that for sure? I thought so, yeah, Obama reversed it. We can. And, and so I'm really curious about what can, there's also that kind of political um, realm of what can we do to help facilitate as a species, particularly those who want to control our population. Because I think what's going to start happening, and it has started happening, is, you know, we're going to have a lot of diseases and epidemics, and maybe that'll knock knock our population, and that might not be a bad thing in some way. But because we are so smart and we do invent all these terrific things like, you know, birth control yeah, and yeah. abortions, why, you know, finding ways to make use of that and educate people to that? Yeah, I think that was a good question. Uh, I think you find that issue, the issue that really grabs you, that really disturbs you, that really moves you, and you find the organizations that are in it, and then you, you offer your time and energy and your, you know, your resources to it. And, you know, considering the diseases and stuff, uh, Lynn Margulis, a very famous biologist, molecular biologist, says all successful species end up having big die-offs. Mm -hmm. it, it's just uh, the nature of the beast, not referring to us, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that uh, we overuse our resources and then there is a natural uh, die-off of, of, of part of the species. I mean, we have to accept the, the laws of nature in our own body, in our own lives, and we have to accept it for our species as well, I think. It, it's having, you know, it's holding that big picture if it's just what nature wants, we, we are nature, you know, and we've messed up a lot. That's nature messing up, trying to find its equilibrium, its balance. Its, and, and another thing of hope, you know, I was starting to talk about hope a little bit and how resilient life is on this planet. I also find hope in the fact that uh, we've only known about global warming for 40, 50 years. The first UN conference on the environment was held in 1970. The Endangered Species Act didn't happen until 1972. We are just now waking up to the problems we, we've caused and the havoc we've caused. It, so it's, it's sort of like all of a sudden, you know, it, it's, it seems so dire, but uh, it, it's also that we are just learning. And uh, I think that, that gives you a sense of more of the big picture, you know, uh, nobody knew that it was wrong to, you know, drive cars around or that it would create such, you know, craziness. <laughs> my, my friend says it's not that there aren't, aren't enough car, it, it, something, it's just not enough pavement. It's a, it's a, forget it. But anyway, so hope. Hope, you know, and, and when you think about our story changing, you know, about shifting our understanding of ourselves, you realize, if you look back, that Lao Tzu and Socrates and the Buddha were all 2,500 years ago, which is a blink of a blink of an eye in biological time, and that we are, I mean, all the sciences of, of understanding the nature of the brain and the nervous system and and the Buddha Dharma and all that, it's brand new. We're, we're just babies at this game of, of understanding ourselves. 
So there's really, I think, hope in that uh, understanding, in that we're not, you know, we're, we're brilliant species. We'll pull out. You can do it. I know you can. Do it for me. Do it for my daughter. Yeah. Hi, I'm Donna. There is a conference that starts at the end of this week in Marin County. It's at the Marin Civic Center. It's called the Bioneers. Yes. Thank you for bringing that. There are incredible people that have been working on projects to save the earth for decades. And they do presentations there. And if you were to go onto their website, you could read about the information. You could even attend something. But most importantly, you can give these people that are already leading the path money donations so they can continue the work that we ourselves don't have to reinvent and don't necessarily have the time to do. But small donations are worth yeah. an incredible amount, and the Bioneers is a real good thing. Thank you. That's really true. I've been there several times at conferences, and they, 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 they get the best people really leading in the field, in the various fields of everything from... Yeah, it's a three-day event. Starts, I think, Friday morning. It's sold out, but you can go for you can go for one event online. Oh, and also online uh, are these conversations uh, that uh, Sean announced earlier. I think you can just go to www.oneearthsanga.com. Sean, are you there? I'm, I'm hiding. Is that, <laughs> where are you? Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah, www.oneearthsanga.com. Okay, uh, any, anybody else? Any, any other good planet healing suggestion? Yes. I have two comments. One, the age of Mother Earth was pre-agricultural. It really was the development of agriculture and the rise of cities and civilization and the rise of paternalism that began this long journey of Earth destruction. And now it's changing as women are asserting themselves and societies are becoming more egalitarian in some ways, except maybe in the Middle East. <laughs> um, but the uh, images you find of uh, deuses are like the Venus of Willendorf, Willendorf and things like that, pretty agricultural. And the other thing I wanted to say is uh, <clears throat> I was baptized Episcopalian here at St. Paul's in Santa Fe, never took to Christianity. I remember the people singing Onward Christian Soldiers, <laughs> which is the, the hymn that kind of remains with me for some reason. Um, but I, I began seeing, uh, after I had discovered Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta as a teenager, that the desert religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, have really created 
this whole Western paradigm of disrespect for the earth and for natural processes. And they're still strong, those mind they are. forms. They are. Uh, and they're creating <coughs> conflict and destruction. Right. It's another, it's another one of those threads that feeds into the great narrative. And I think it's what, what's really useful is that to, is to realize that nobody really is to blame. Everybody's just doing what is called for in their time and in their context of culture and history and biology. And yeah, we've done a lot of things poorly, wrong, whatever. But uh, we're doing the best we can. Always know that. We're doing the best we can. I try to remember that we are a baby species. We really, we just got these big brains. And they didn't come with a good instruction manual. And really, we're, you can see it in meditation. And that's, that's another thing. When you meditate and you really become familiar with your species self, you really realize that we're all doing, we're all in this together. We're all, we've all got aggression and fear and, all, all that stuff is up there, and it's not our fault. Okay, here's a poem to end by a great Japanese Allen Ginsberg kind of Dharma bum. In the morning after taking a cold shower, what a mistake, I look at the mirror. There's this funny guy, gray hair, white beard, wrinkled skin. Well, poor old man. He's not me. Absolutely not. Land and life, fishing in the ocean, sleeping in the desert with stars, building a shelter in the mountains, farming the ancient ways, singing with coyotes, fighting against nuclear war. I'll never be tired of life. Now I'm 17 years old. A very charming young man. I sit down quietly in lotus position, meditating. Suddenly a voice comes to me. To stay young, to save the world, break the mirror. <laughs> so let's sit for a minute before we go in silence. May all beings live with ease and find their own peace.
May we learn to love each other and the world and help it to heal. Thank you all for coming tonight. Enjoy Earth Care Week. We make it into an Earth Care Century. How about that? Earth Care Millennium. Thanks, Sean. All the volunteers, thanks. Oh, by the way, I lead a group every Wednesday night in Berkeley at Yoga Kula on Virginia and Shattuck. If you have friends over there in the East Bay, every Wednesday night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.